The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Another delicious Sunday to you. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, of course, in your radio. We're loading your plate with ideas and recipes and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. Do you love fast, fresh, easy recipes? Well, we're in the heat of summer, and we're going to share them with you. We're delighted that you've joined us for two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food here every Sunday morning to spice up your life and always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. If you'd like our weekly email with recipes and links from the show, be sure to sign up for the newsletter on the top right of the homepage. And you can find me on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen as well. Good morning to you, Lana. And good morning, Jamie and everyone. Yes. So it is another delicious but slightly hazy morning here in Southern California. We do have a full plate this morning, so let me tell you what is coming up. In just a bit, we're going to highlight from the bean to the bottle, the virtues of vanilla. And live from New Zealand, in fact, Hey La La Vanilla, one of the newest vanillas to arrive on the market, full of incredibly beautiful flavor. And we're going to tell you all about it. It's a wonderful family story, in fact. Also, we're going to create some craft cocktails with Gabrielle Dion, mixologist, for uh, Amar Santana's Broadway, and you're going to hear about the pig out, too, which is today. Tickets are still available. You can go on my Facebook page. If you love the swine, we are going to share blessings of the swine and craft cocktails with top chefs in Orange County, California, today. So more information coming up. Stay tuned. Also, in the 9 o'clock hour, you'll hear from Deborah Schneider. She is Soul Restaurant, but more importantly, the Mexican Slow Cooker Cookbook, newly released if you happen to love of Mexican food. You've never had better carnitas than out of your slow cooker. And how to make the best dulce de leche, she'll tell you. Plus, Phil Lempert, supermarket guru and today's show correspondent, is going to share with you some tips to make shopping easier and to get better values at your supermarket. So do stay tuned. We welcome your phone calls as this is an open forum for you to share your passion for food. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, 888-539-2980, 888-539-KFWB980 rather gets you to us because food is life and you should create and savor yours. We're going to kick off this morning by supercharging your culinary with the technique of the week. Every week, trying to bring you insightful commentary that makes you a better cook in your own kitchen. And there is a bounty of beautiful stone fruit just about everywhere. Lana, we saw it walking into Bristol Farms in Newport Beach uh, yesterday, in fact. What a great makeover that is. By the way, if you haven't been to the Bristol Farm store in Newport Beach, they have done a gorgeous redo of that store. Oh, I love the salad bar. And, and the, the chili bar. 
with all the condiments, no less. And that gorgeous Italian pizza oven mm. is a sight to behold. Um, but when you walk into the farmer's market or your favorite supermarket and you smell that beautiful wafting aroma of peaches, then you know it's summer. And what do you do with the bounty of summer fruit? I mean, I love a piece of fruit out of hand. We love to grill fruit. In fact, a gorgeous compliment to uh, your favorite meat, whether it be pork or venison or even bison, a really beautiful match. Um, But there are wonderful ways to serve this gorgeous summer fruit as dessert. And I love what roasting does to ripe summer fruit. Now, Chef Tom Colicchio says that it seems greedy to improve on nature. I love that. But that is exactly what roasting does. Roasted fruit is so delicious, served with a scoop or two of ice cream or maybe a dollop of creme fraiche, even alongside a plate of shortbread cookies with a big bowl of chantilly or whipped cream Mm. for dipping. Oh, that is my kind of dessert. And you could pour some Vinsanto, the sweet Italian wine, uh, and I think that you could have dessert for dinner as far as I'm concerned. Roasted fruit makes a beautiful topping for breakfast as well, so whether it be for French toast or for pancakes. And you roast the fruit in advance, and then you keep it in the fridge. You can rewarm it at any time. You know, you could just zap it for a couple seconds, or you could throw it back into a saute pan and warm it up, or even better yet, a small pan that could go straight to the table so the fruit stays warm Mm. in a a small skillet, per se. Um, But it's a fabulous filling for crepes, if you're planning a crepe bar. It tastes delicious in a tart shell with pastry cream, and those are just the sweet sides. You could certainly create a savory component with roasted fruit. I do love it with grilled meats. Yes, I do too. And I love that you add an herbaceous note to it, Mm. Mom. You add that beautiful aromatic when you're roasting the fruit that comes from most often your garden. Uh, Most definitely. So rosemary is wonderful with peaches or lavender. Mm, Nice. Any of the herbs in your garden would be lovelier that you have in the refrigerator. And if you're roasting them in the oven, just lay the herbs on top with a touch of butter. Yeah, fresh sprigs always work well. Here's my best idea of the morning for roasted fruit, though. The next time you bake a bread pudding, you know, you cut the bread into cubes and you soak it in the custard and then you usually dump it into a casserole or a roasting pan or maybe you're making individual ramekins, right? And they puff up in the oven and you serve them warm with some Mm -hmm. creme anglaise or vanilla sauce. Well, make individual bread puddings or even a larger casserole will work and put the roasted fruit, already roasted, by the way, this is almost its second roasting, Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the ramekins and then put the soaked bread cubes on top. And when you unmold it, you turn it over and you have something that's almost like a tarte tan, Mm -hmm. like with the caramelized fruit on top. Oh, that's luscious. It's so delicious. And So there's a roasting method at ChefJamie.com under techniques that will teach you how to roast the perfect summer fruit. And this roasting method works for plums, for apricots, for peaches, for pears. Mm -hmm. You could use Melissa's nectarines. Mm -hmm. During the fall, you can roast apples, uh, Mm -hmm. pineapples, even mangoes. I like to roast figs, and I wrap them in pancetta Mm -hmm. to serve with duck. I know you do. It's just such a nice little uh, addition to it. There's something very elegant to me Mm -hmm. about figs. Mm -hmm. They they are no doubt fruit of the gods, Mm -hmm. but there is something beautifully just 
gorgeously classy and elegant about figs and even roasting them over um, vanilla ice cream and then like a drizzle of port or your favorite liqueur, even frangelico, right over the top Mm. in a wine glass or a goblet. Well, you you roast them and then put them over the ice cream, right? Right. Yes. Oh, did I? I got ahead of myself there. I was trying. I was trying to get to don't the frangelico. Ice cream. Evidently, no. Don't roast the ice cream. You can roast um, berries, bananas are scrumptious mm-hmm. as well. By the way, the the smaller and the more delicate fruits, mm-hmm. let's say like bananas or berries, for instance, take less cooking time than the stone fruit mm-hmm. would. With apples being um, at the Top of the list for the longest roasting time, down through stone fruit, and then to your softer fruits like mango, and then to berries, and then to bananas. And then let's not forget pineapple. Oh, you make a roasted pineapple ice cream. cream. Oh. That recipe is on the website. It's a oh, it's outrageous. It's a wonderful luscious. thing to do to pineapple. I agree. There's no doubt. And how about the bottle of saba that we came across in the pantry? Yes, if you happen to have the grape must or saba in your pantry that we do in our R&D kitchen, mm-hmm. you could drizzle it over the fruit and roast it for a very unique, rich, uh, almost um, like a grape vine, you know, like a, a good wine grape kind mm-hmm. of flavor, which is really what you get when the water evaporates. And it's almost like a sweet and sour relish yes, when you cut it up. What evening. I love about Agro Dolce, the Italian sweet, sour Agro Dolce is delicious. So the recipe is on the website, sugar, honey, or maple syrup. Vanilla bean or vanilla paste, a pound and a half or so of fruit, your favorite spice, a little bit of lemon juice, and butter. The roasting technique, once again, at chefjamie.com. Let us know how your roasted fruit turns out this summer. And then be sure to tell us, is your chili blue ribbon worthy? Well, whether you like your chili meaty or full of veggies or white and creamy or hot and spicy, we want to see your delicious recipe. Coming up on August 19th, we are kicking off Hatch Chili Season with Melissa's World Variety Produce Roasting Hatch Chilies live over an open fire at Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach. And we're having a party and you're invited. So we hope you'll join us on Sunday, August 19th, beginning at 8 a.m. at Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach for Hatch Chili Fest. And if you would like to win a $100 gift card to shop at Bristol Farms, all you need to do between now and then is submit us your favorite chili recipe, mm-hmm. and you could be our chili champion. You email us at live at chefjamie.com. It's just mm-hmm. that easy. We're going to announce the winner at our upcoming Hatch Chili live broadcast again august 19th and your chili could include any kind of chile could have jalapenos or habaneros or anaheims or, or even or hatch yeah new mexico's hatch chili the prize chili but we'd love to hear about it and it doesn't matter the season right because chili is comforting mm-hmm. and tasty and full of savory goodness i believe year or round a white chili or a vegetarian chili fabulous love it once again if you believe you are our chili champion you just might be. Oh, send them in. Let us try them out. Yes. Oh, we're going to be eating a lot of chili oh. over the next couple of weeks. Mm. Can't wait. Write to us again, live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. You could be our chili champion. A $100 gift card to shop at Bristol Farms will be yours. More information on the website at chefjamie.com. Coming up, the beauty 
of the bean. We're going to talk about the virtues of vanilla, everything you ever wanted to know about that glorious aromatic spice. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. A good morning to you. We'll be right back. Informative, entertaining, and delicious. The conversation continues. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Have you ever wondered how vanilla is grown? Well, the partnership of two Pacific families united by a passion for the world's most sensual and exotic flavor and aroma is producing one of the most exquisite vanillas we've ever tasted. So good that I tease that I want to put Heilala vanilla paste in my bath. Yes, Heilala is the name, and it is a line of vanilla products, including vanilla extract, vanilla syrup, vanilla sugar, and vanilla paste, which I am completely enamored with. A complete ownership of the process from vine to pantry, the only company, in fact, that regulates all the way from beginning to end of the process. And owner Jennifer Bogus is here live with us to share the story of vanilla live from New Zealand. We're glad to have you on the line. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning, Jamie. <laughs> Lana and I are very enamored with Heilala, and we should spell it so everyone knows H-E-I-L-A-L-A is this beautiful vanilla. If you would start us out and take us from the vine to the pantry, the life of vanilla. Uh, so our plantation is in the islands of Tonga, and it was established over 10 years ago. It's the Bourbon vanilla variety, the same that is grown in Madagascar. So it's a climbing orchid. The flower opens once a year, and it has to be hand-pollinated within four hours of opening. So it's a very delicate, labor-intensive process. So we hand-pollinate the flowers on the day they opened. And then nine months later, you get a green bean, which looks a lot like a, a green runner bean. And then they are picked at the right time, and then we go through a three-month process of curing and drying, which is where all the the flavor develops of, of the vanilla bean and we dry it under the Pacific sun each day. The beans are taken out into the sun, turned, uh, put back into the shed mm. at night and then once they're fully cured and dried, we bring them back to our base in New Zealand, which was there where we manufacture and produce a range of 100% vanilla products. It's really amazing to consider that the entire process takes over a year. And whether it's the organic soil or the Pacific sun, there's something about your vanilla that has this very wine-centric component or flavor profile to me in that it has multiple characteristics. It's very rich. It's very intense. The flavor is beautiful. Um, teach us how to choose the right vanilla bean because you have a trick about wrapping around your finger, right? Yeah, so I say a good vanilla bean, you should be able to wrap it around your finger like a ribbon and then it, you know, it comes back exactly how it was before you wrapped it around your finger. And I think that's all about being fresh and direct from vine to pantry. Uh, a lot of the world's vanillas is grown, say, in Madagascar and then it probably goes through about 10 sets of, of hands before it actually gets to the consumer. So it is, you know, it could be up to sort of two, two years before it ends up in somebody's pantry. So that's what makes Heilala Vanilla unique, is that you know it's direct from plantation to pantry or vine to pantry. I think it's incredible to consider. We've all had a brittle 
vanilla bean, right? The one that breaks in half when you pull it from the pantry. Mm-hmm. And it has so little aromatics to it. But when you find vanilla, and by the way, Hey Lala is now available at Bristol Farms, where everyone knows Jennifer, we shop. The beauty of the Hey Lala product is, and we were overwhelmed when we first tried it, is the freshness. Now, your family has a wonderful story, and tell us, because you did not start out in the vanilla business, did you? No, I'm actually an accountant by trade, (laughs) and my husband's in IT, but my father is a farmer from New Zealand, a dairy farmer and a crop grower, and he went up to Vivau'u in the northern islands of Tonga for his 60th birthday out on his boat, and he fell in love with the people there and the village there. When he came back, there was a cyclone that went through, and it did a lot of damage to houses of people that he had met. He sent some money up to repair some roofs. And then he realized the damage was a lot more widespread. So then he took up a group of friends with two container loads of building material and they rebuilt the school houses and other uh, infrastructure. And following on from that, they've, they've completed projects in the village every year for 10 years now. After that initial project, the chief of the village said to my father, we've got lots of spare land, we've got young people that are well-educated, but there's nothing for them to do. Would you be interested in setting up some form of agricultural enterprise here? So my dad then travelled to places like Costa Rica, Madagascar, Reunion Island, Tahiti, and vanilla was the crop that was decided. So uh, we set the plantation up there in 2002, And we got the first crop in 2005, which was 45 kilos. I'm not sure how much that is in pounds. Then last year we harvested over three tonne. So um, we've had great growth and it's been a very successful enterprise so far. And we're looking forward to bringing Heilala Vanilla to to the U.S. market and Bristol Farms. Yes, and, and it's just breaking through. What an incredible story to consider that your father paid it forward and how much he reaped in return to provide work for these families, mm-hmm. to create mm-hmm. uh, an agricultural product that benefits so many of us diehard foodies. You know, there are very few products. We all love to eat, those listening to this show, for sure, Jennifer. But there are particular products in a chef's arsenal that is just that secret ingredient, right, that just blows the flavor away and I made a peach vanilla sorbet. I have a technique I make three minute sorbet and in fact it features your Hey Lala products and it's posted on our website at chefjamie.com which by the way you will find Hey Lala recipes linked to the homepage of my site right now so that you can learn the virtues and fulfill the flavor profile of Hey Lala and all of your cooking. I used your vanilla sugar to make a very quick three-ingredient peach sorbet, just frozen cubed peaches and Hey Lala vanilla sugar and a few tablespoons of creme fraiche and whizzed it in the food processor. It's the simplest technique ever. It was divine. It was so aromatic, wasn't it? And beautifully flavored and floral and fabulous. And those are those secret ingredients that you just keep in your back pocket. Sounds fabulous. Yeah, those are the best. Tell us what you do with all of the different products, because I know it was one of your goals to ensure that the entire crop was used, and that's how vanilla paste came to be. Yes, vanilla paste just adds that sort of 
magic touch, I think. It has the same flavour as vanilla extract, our vanilla paste. Teaspoon for teaspoon is the same. But with vanilla paste, you get to see those lovely little flecks, the, mm-hmm. the vanilla seeds. So even if it's just putting a teaspoon in some whipped cream or uh, cream fraiche or mascarpone, it's the magic ingredient, as you say. Yes. Also meringues, anything, uh, making our own vanilla ice cream, that's where we, re- we use the vanilla paste. Mm, we we made a beautiful bun cake ah. that was quite fabulous. Yes, with the vanilla glaze, and you mm-hmm. can see all those beautiful vanilla seeds, mm-hmm. like when you scrape out the pod, and that's always impressive to show off too, because it just screams the scent of vanilla before you've even tasted it, or the aroma fills your nose mm-hmm. as you're bringing the cake to your mouth. That was a beautiful cake, mm. and bettered by the beauty of vanilla. Talk about your vanilla syrup, if you would, because that's a n- rather new product for us to acclimate ourselves to and you can simply pour it over strawberries and have heaven in a bowl Mm, exactly that's what we were tasting at the good food show in sydney last weekend was just a halala vanilla syrup poured over strawberries so that's probably my favorite way in the summer the other way is over pancakes french toast waffles even with some quickly fried banana and berries any berries it's fabulous over poured over ice cream and all the better if it's vanilla ice cream because you get a wonderful vanilla hit. (laughs) Coffee, it's great in your coffee. Our vanilla syrup is obviously 100% pure vanilla as opposed to there is other vanilla syrup. Oh, I love that idea, but all of those vanilla cream and half and half are so synthetic. I was going to say the fake stuff. Yes. Yeah, definitely. During the break here on the radio, that's what I'm having. Would you like a cup of Halala vanilla coffee? Because I'm leaving, I'm running from the studio in about a minute here (laughs) (laughs) to make one. Vanilla syrup over everyday pancakes or waffles. Drizzled over peaches or nectarines has been delicious as well. And, of course, we're baking with your Halala vanilla extract, and it makes a glorious vanilla fudge. Just beautiful. And then for the savory side, too. You know, I'm always speaking about how we love vanilla and pork as a pairing, Jennifer. So some of the vanilla paste in a brine for a pork tenderloin or pork chops. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then savory as well, like in an aioli, a vanilla citrus aioli as um, a topping for scallops. You have a beautiful recipe as well. And we've linked you at chefjamie.com to heylalavanilla.com. You heard about it here first. It's H-E-I-L. L-A-L-A. From New Zealand, it is the newest vanilla products on the market, and it is truly extraordinary flavor. Jennifer, we wish you continued success, and we will continue to use the delicious aromatics of what you produce of vanilla. Thank you, Jamie and Lana. Yes, thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, don't touch that dial. You just might miss something truly delicious right back after this. Grab a glass. There's cocktail conversation in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Good Sunday morning to you. She is the bar manager of Broadway by Amar Santana, one of Orange County, California's hottest spots to dine and drink. She is Gabrielle Dion. On the board of the OC Bartender's Cabinet, she is raising the game of craft cocktails, and she joins us live to mix it up. We're glad to have you. Good morning, bartendress. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, a pleasure. Um, talk about, if you would, Gabrielle, to kick off this conversation, exactly what the definition of craft cocktails is today. In my world, I think the definition would be that craft cocktails has to do with technique, fresh juices, 
quality ingredients, and uh, consistency. I think it's interesting. Cocktails have come so far, but they've really come full circle. We're seeing a lot of those old vintage spirits coming back. We're seeing Absolutely. some of the more classic cocktails, right? Absolutely. There's a big movement in ice and in garnishes. What do you see most in the cocktail movement as far as a growth pattern and where we started and where we are now? Well, you know, those, a lot of those spirits were lost through prohibition, which I consider um, to be a detriment to the liquor industry and uh, craft cocktails in particular. Cocktail archaeologists had to go back and dig through cocktail books and find these old ingredients and go search for them. And some of them had to actually make them and find a source in that particular location where it was originally made to make that product, which is really fun and interesting and always exciting. Yeah, I love the history of food, and that applies to cocktails too. In fact, you have a presentation of absinthe at Broadway, which is really a throwback. Oh, that is so much oh, fun. Is. Yes, that's comeback. Talk a little bit about it, because that will definitely bring the vintage back. Oh, definitely. Absinthe was uh, made illegal, I believe, in about 1915 in the U.S. It did not come back until 2007. And this was due to the uh, theory that it made you hallucinate from the wormwood. And the stoogone is the the ingredient that actually is supposed to be the active ingredient that makes you hallucinate. So what they did was they made it legal to a point of how much thujon you can actually have in the absence itself, and so now it's available. There's all sorts of different ceremonies of how to make it. Usually you have a fountain with very cold water, and you put the absence in a nice glass with a spoon over it with a sugar cube atop, and you let it drip slowly, and the sugar cube slowly dissolves into the cocktail or the drink, and you stir it up, and you add as much water as you depend on your taste. And do you like the flavor? Do you believe it's an acquired taste? Are your guests taking to it? I do. I do believe it's an acquired taste. Most people want to try it at least once. Um, right. And then they figure out whether or not it's for them. Black licorice is an acquired thing, and it's one of the things that I most often run into as a dislike when someone asks me to make a bartender's choice. I ask for dislikes, and usually black licorice is the number one on the list. So depending on the absence, there are some that are much more delicate and have other botanicals involved in the flavor than just in your face absence flavor. You know, it's funny, Gabrielle. I am a red licorice lover when it comes to movies, not a black licorice eater. But I love anise. I use a lot of fennel in my cooking, and Mm -hmm. I happen to be a fan of absence. And I think it's just the most beautifully extravagant presentation that really elevates the level of the cocktail itself. And that's really, I believe, where the cocktail industry is moving. It's become entertainment. It's become a show of sorts. And it certainly is at Broadway by Amar Santana. You guys are doing great things. And people come to sit at the bar to watch you mix. I wonder what some of the hottest spirits you're pouring right now are. Well, rye is making a comeback, and we consider ourselves to have a very diverse whiskey selection, and we definitely love rye. There's a stalemate where liquor companies, rye in particular, thought that the demand was going down, so they stopped making it. Now, of course, these aged spirits take a few years to age, hmm. so a few of them were getting news that they haven't, don't have enough or don't have the stock or stopped making production because a few years ago the demand was down. But now, I think mostly due to bartenders and cocktail enthusiasts, the rye demand has shot up, and it becomes a little bit harder. The, also, the nice part is that it is a little bit less expensive than bourbon right. because of the lower demand a few years ago. So what's the best thing for us to mix up with rye? I really like a Brooklyn. A Brooklyn mm. is a classic cocktail. Uh, it's a stirred drink. It, it has dry vermouth as opposed to red. 
Mare Picon is an ingredient from France that is not available in the U.S., so most people substitute with either Tarani Amare or here we use Amaro Chiocharo, and then a little bit of bitters and maraschino liqueur. And an orange twist, it's beautiful, it's light, it's not like your heavy Manhattan, but has a lot of complexity. Yeah, it does from the um, beautiful, I think that bright, beautiful orange flavor from the the twist really adds to the lightness of the cocktail, and I find it refreshing as well. You mentioned stirring very specifically. Mm-hmm. How do you know when to stir versus shake? If you would share with us some techniques so that we can become part of the game of craft cocktails. Absolutely. Uh, the very general rule is if it's clear or a just spirit drink, you stir. The idea is that you're adding the coldness to it without adding too much water dilution and without adding air. Air emulsifies a drink by shaking, and it can add air bubbles. It actually takes a little bit of the smoothness of the liquor and cocktail out and disturbs the drink. When you have juice, you want to emulsify. You blend all the flavors together, and for that, it requires uh, a good shake. So that is basically the rule. There is, you know, a a cocktail here and there. The Stinger, classically, just cognac and creme de menthe is shaken. But, of course, those are just a couple little side notes. What is that about shaking or stirring 17 times? I was just going to ask that, Gabrielle. Do you have a number? You know, that where were we told that? We were told mm-hmm. that certain bartenders have a certain number of shakes. It mm-hmm. has to be, by the way, above the breast that you're shaking, right? You've got to get a good hard oh, yeah. shake. Up high. Up high. Here. And then supposedly everyone has their own individual count. Absolutely, because, I mean, I work with a gentleman named Ricky Arnell, and we have a cocktail called the Lucette, which is a shaken cocktail. And my strength versus his strength, it takes me a little bit longer to get the same dilution and to get the drink to the right consistency versus the way he does it. And it, honestly, it's just brute strength. So what's guy. your number? My number, it depends on the cocktail. It's very, uh, like I have egg cocktails that I have to shake a little bit longer, but I would say about 20 to 30 seconds. And it also depends on the ice. If you're using large cube ice like we have here, which is called cold draft, it takes a little bit less time, or I'm sorry, a little bit longer than if you have shell ice. Shell ice melts really fast, and it gets the drink colder, but with more dilution. So it just depends. I think that's really interesting. This is really proof and a testament to the fact that just like you would test a recipe before you ever made it the first time in front of guests or friends or family, if you're mastering the art of cocktails for the summer and as we come into the cooler months as well and you're planning a signature cocktail or you're throwing a party, this is proof that you must do the homework. And I mean that with a little bit of humor, right, because we all need uh, a a little taste test. But it is also very much a testament to the fact that you want to shake your cocktails in advance to know how many shakes you need to dilute the cocktail to the proper dilution, as you said, right? So that it's diluted properly so that it tastes good when you pour it into the glass. Absolutely. And the other thing that would change that is whether the drink is going to be served up or on the rocks. If you're shaking a margarita and you're going to pour it over ice, you want to do it a little bit less because it's going to dilute further in the glass with the ice versus if you serve it up, you want it to be a little bit colder. That way it stays, stays cold longer without ice. Do you recommend that people make a certain kind of ice or use a certain kind of water at home? You know, I've tried every water at home, trying to get the clear, perfect ice cube. You could use your refrigerator water dispenser. Mm. But boiling water, doing whatever, it all has to do with the temperature of your freezer and the way Mm. that it's frozen. 
the cold draft machine that we use uses a system where it slurries slowly the water and it slowly freezes it. And that's pretty much the only way that you can get a clear cube. But there are lots of different shaped cube molds that you can get at Sur La Table that have larger cubes, which I use at home. Okay, so we have in our research and development kitchen one of those big molds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A big round one. Yeah, that Lana got, which Baseball is really fun. Size round. Yeah, it fills the whole yeah. lowball glass. It's fun. Absolutely, oh, those are fun. It's super great. It's really yes. cute in a martini glass. Uh, we are looking forward to seeing you as we bless the swine and celebrate because the culinary industry is coming together, the first event of its kind in Orange County, combining creative culinary techniques. For those that are big on pig, this is the inaugural pig-centric social, along with craft cocktails in the same forum. And Gabrielle, being the bar manager at Broadway by Amar Santana, is leading the way in the cocktail division here. We know Amar is serving up some really delicious pig dishes, along with some other extraordinary chefs from the OC area, but give us a, a sneak peek, a taste, Gabrielle, of what we can expect from the pig out. Well, pig out's going to be great. We have six craft bars. There's 320 Main in Seal Beach, of course, Broadway by Amar Santana, 240 South in Brea, Napa Rose in Anaheim, and Side Door in Mesa, both in Corona del Mar and Costa Mesa, respectively. Every one of them has a different spirit category, and they were all donated by great spirit companies like Templeton Rye, Fernette Branca, hmm. and Don Q, which is what we're going to be using. For our cocktail, we're going to do a take on a Tiki classic called Three Dots and a Dash. Tiki was most popular right after World War II. Usually it does have quite a number of ingredients, and in our particular case, Three Dots and a Dash classically has about, I believe, eight. So it is. we're using a Don Q and Nieho rum, which is a little bit different because normally it uses uh, Martinique and two different types of rum, but we have falernum, which is a spice liqueur from the Caribbean, mm. uh, lime juice, orange, both fresh squeezed, of course, a little bit of honey, and allspice dram. Allspice dram also comes hails from the Caribbean, and it's all in the name. Allspice is the main flavor. Mm. All shaken together, served over crushed ice. It is a perfect summertime drink. Sounds perfect for pig. Oh, it really does. The flavor profile really complements the richness of the pig. We can't wait to eat and drink with you. And I personally can't wait to sit at your bar and uh, have a craft cocktail mixed for us soon. I compliment you on your talent, and we certainly appreciate you sharing your passion. And we can't wait to see you at Pig Out. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you. We do as well. She is Gabrielle Dion, the bar manager of Broadway by Amar Santana, Laguna, California, in the heart of Orange County. We'll see you at the Pig Out. You can find out more at 100eats100days.com. The delicious conversation and cocktail inspiration continues right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't touch that dial. We're feasting on hot topics this Sunday morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. We hope you'll tune in every Sunday. There's a whole nother hour coming up, so don't touch your dial. We're going to talk about how you can create incredible Mexican dishes in your slow cooker in just a few minutes. And later in the hour, in the 9 o'clock hour, that is Phil Lempert, today's show correspondent, talking about the best way to shop at a supermarket for great value. He's going to give you some tips on supermarket trends as well. We always have a delicious contest going on here and 
in your radio. And in fact, you can be our chili champion. You can find out more at chefjamie.com and even uh, better yet, go to facebook.com and become a friend or fan. It's at Chef Jamie Gwen. You send your best chili recipe to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com and you'll win a $100 gift card to shop at Bristol mm. Farms. We're going to announce the winner on Sunday, August 19th at our live Hatch Chili broadcast. You're invited. Melissa's is roasting Hatch Chilies as the start of the season of New Mexico's prize chili right outside Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach, and we're serving breakfast and chilies galore. Mm, and $100 for a gift card from Bristol's. Not bad for a chili recipe you happen to win. Yeah, have in your arsenal already, mm-hmm. right? And yes, and I just <laughs> received a fabulous white chili recipe just now. Oh, terrific. Can't wait to try that. They're roasting their vegetables in it. Brilliant. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. See, you just might learn something from tuning into this program every Sunday. We want to congratulate Jesse Bluma. He is the winner of our last contest, in fact, a loyal radio listener. Yay to Jesse, the winner of our cocktail contest. He won tickets to opening night of La Caja Full at Sagerstrom Center for the Performing Arts and a $100 gift card or gift certificate to dine at Antonello at South Coast Plaza Village. And his black cherry mint cocktail was quite a hit at our um, summer soiree Oh, gosh, a few Sundays ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts with pitted fresh cherries of the season and organic mint and organic honey. I really like the natural approach that mm-hmm. Jesse took to this cocktail. And it was inspired by an experience he had with family and friends. And he came back home after traveling to recreate this recipe. Lime juice and sparkling water. And he uses lime gin. And lime gin is available in a bottle. Or you can actually make it yourself as well using um, any of your favorite gins. I'm a Hendrix girl. And fresh lime, of course. Lots of fresh lime, in mm-hmm. fact. And the recipe is posted under Cocktails You'll Love mm-hmm. so that you can recreate Jesse's recipe on the website at chefjamie.com. So congratulations to you, Jesse. And, and we did do a take on it using Amarena cherries, but someone had written in asking about them. Yeah, so we're great fans of Amarena cherries. Those are those absolutely beautiful Italian Uh, they're like little teeny jewels, really. Mm -hmm. And they come in a jar in syrup. And they are gorgeous in cocktails. They're beautiful for dessert. Uh, They're pitted and sweet and just extraordinarily luscious. And if you're looking to add a new ingredient as the topper for whether it be your signature dessert or to use a little bit of the syrup with a sparkling wine or even champagne um, or like... Like Paul Martin's American Grill and Brian Bennett's Good Taste, mm-hmm. you like to scatter a couple of Amarena cherries over a chocolate cake. Oh, it's divine with chocolate. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Then uh, you should definitely buy yourself a jar. Uh, you should also go to ChefJamie.com if you're looking for recipe inspiration. We have a grilled blue cheese and bacon stuffed mushroom mm. posted on the website because I am a girl the Grill at the grill, rather. Mm-hmm. But I don't like to leave the grill when I'm out there barbecuing, whether mm-hmm. I've got steaks on the grill and corn and, you know, uh, melting cheese as a starter. Mm-hmm. I like everything to come off the barbecue, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hors d'oeuvre, main course, and even dessert. Mm-hmm. Bananas foster in an aluminum foil packet poured over vanilla ice cream. I'm in. So I thought... 
I've been on a mushroom kick lately, you know, mm. Mom. So these grilled bites are killer, right? You prepare the filling in advance, and then you just throw them on the barbie. It's like the perfect appetizer off the grill. And the blue cheese melts, and they've got beautiful bacon, and they're grilled blue cheese and bacon-stuffed mushrooms. And they mm. come right off the grill, and they're perfect with a cocktail. Oh, and they're fabulous. they're posted at chefjamie.com. Also fabulous, your Cook with Lana recipe of the week. It is a blueberry streusel cobbler, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to taste it. And by the way, mm. it was delicious. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank fabulous. you. So easy just to crush the granola and the cornflakes together. Love it. And, and just place it over the top. It's just lovely. And bake it, and then even mm-hmm. just leave it out on the counter, right? And serve dessert when it's you're ready so good at to celebrate. Exactly, yeah. or pop it back in the oven for a moment. Perfect. Okay, you can thank us later for fabulous recipes. <laughs> They're all posted to celebrate food and feed the soul at chefjamie.com. Grab a snack and come on back. There's a whole nother hour mm. of delicious conversation right here. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana, KFWB News Talk 980. Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. This is your culinary playground every Sunday morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. If you'd like to be our chili champion, submit your best chili recipe to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. The email address that gets you to us will announce the winner in our live broadcast, which you're invited to, coming up Sunday, August 19th at Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach. Melissa's Produce is kicking off New Mexico Hatch Chili Season with live roast breakfast and more so please be sure to join us and continue to listen this hour if you love fabulous food the culinary landscape is ever evolving and we're bringing you kitchen confidence coming up in just a bit you'll hear from today's show correspondent and supermarket guru phil lempert but first we're loading your plate with fabulous mexican food i've never met anyone that doesn't love the indulgence of a great mexican meal and it's interesting to note that Mexico's ancient cuisine was originally cooked in earthenware pots for hours on end, a very rustic technique. Well, that technique has been updated by a chef who has been dubbed the reigning queen of San Diego chefs by Bon Appetit magazine. She's a James Beard nominated author and the executive chef and partner of Soul Cocina, Cochina, uh, with locations in Newport Beach, California, and Scottsdale, Arizona. She's taken the concept of traditional Mexican fare and showcased the versatility of it by cooking in the slow cooker. And if you're really crazy harried in your schedule, which many of us are, but you don't want to sacrifice flavor, we're going to dive much deeper into the idea of 
cooking your mole and your enchiladas and your chile verde pork and all of your favorites in your slow cooker to create great Mexican cuisine. Deborah Schneider joins us live. She is the author of The Mexican Slow Cooker, and we're glad to have you on the radio. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Chef Jamie. And Lana as well. Hello, Lana. Good morning. We've been uh, dishing through the book. I think I'm starting with a soup. I love the idea of recreating the authentic flavor of Mexican cuisine, which I think has two distinct uh, different preparations, Deborah, and you clarify for me if you would. You can make fast, fresh Mexican food really quick, and then you have those recipes that need that slow time for what I call flavor deliverance. Yes, absolutely. Um, I call them kill and grill. And, <laughs> yeah, okay. And flop and go. Um, <laughs> I like it. It's, uh, yes, there's definitely two ways to do it. And I think a lot of the slow cooking techniques that we're going to be talking about today, I should point out, are, are based on very inexpensive cuts of meat that, um, you know, people in Mexico would have access to and, and certainly need that long cooking to get tenderized. Was there a soup that caught your eye when you were going through there, Jamie? There were two in particular. One is a chicken soup with tortillas and avocado. And I love the simplicity of it because you say that one of the simplest versions is where um, in traditional Mexico they'll saute tomato uh, with water and then they pour it over fried corn tortillas and a big squeeze of lime adds that acidity, right? Yes. And you have this just fresh bowl of flavor. It's absolutely delicious and and so simple. Um, and then you start adding on from there. You know, it's the iron law of escalation where you have a delicious basic and you start thinking about what you can add to it. This is a great soup that kind of exemplifies what you can do with this book. You can make it as simple or as elaborate as you like. And it really points out the time-saving aspects of the slow cooker. The slow cooker is your friend. Um, <laughs> I, I got my first one in the 1970s, which dates me, I know. But remember, everything was like sloppy joe recipes. Mm-hmm. That you would just throw it in and you would go away for 10 hours and come back. And you would have something sort of brown but delicious in your pot. Well, slow cookers today are so much better and so much more versatile. Um, that you can definitely use it to your advantage. It's, it can do mit, so many more things for you than just, you know, cook while you're gone. It can cook for four hours, two hours, 12 hours. It can hold things on warm for you so you don't have to run home. Mm. So if you use your slow cooker to make a fantastic chicken stock, and who's got time to nurse chicken stock? Not you. Mm-hmm. No, not, uh, not you or I. And, you know, to nurse over an open flame anymore, <laughs> none of us want to do. Uh, you know, we're all way too busy. And if I'm in the kitchen, then I love to put a stock on. Mm-hmm. But if I want to walk away, the slow cooker seems optimal. And that is exactly what it will do for you. It will never boil your stock, and you'll come back at the end of six hours, and you have the most beautiful, clear chicken stock Mm -hmm. or beef broth and you can use the meat to make the soup you can use the broth for so many things you can freeze part of what you make so that's really where you build your Mm -hmm. time saving in is kind of thinking ahead when you're making some of the basics in the book how you can use them Mm, I love the clarity of the stock. Yeah, definitely so. Yes. And so then you have this stock, this wonderfully rich broth to use for whatever it is you like. The soup 
uh, Sopa Azteca in your book starts with guajillo chilies. And I noticed that that is the base of a lot of your recipes. They need to be reconstituted. They're a dried chili, but they have, if there was an umami flavor for Mexican food, I would consider it guajillos, Deborah. Absolutely, yes. Right? I mean, there's this like richness. Can you describe the flavor? I, when I'm trying to describe a guajillo as opposed to chilies that look similar, say uh, New Mexico chili might look similar to people in the stores, I describe it as the taste of enchilada and mm. the smell of enchilada. And everybody knows that smell oh, because of course. the first smell mm-hmm. you get when you walk into a, an American Mexican restaurant is you smell the enchilada sauce. Um, I should say that some guajillos can be a little on the spicy side, so listeners who are looking for chilies and don't want spice might want to buy a dry California, which is always going to be mild. But it's almost the same chili, it's just that California is guaranteed to be mild. Mm. And Deb, how about uh, hatch chili season is coming up quickly. (laughs) Could we use roasted hatch chilies in there? Oh, it would be delicious. Um, what the guajillos do is they give a little bit of underlying complexity to mm-hmm. the soup. So instead of just having a chicken broth with things floating around in it, which is okay, suddenly you get this little haunting sort of chili. Chilies sort of taste like berries and herbs, and they're hard to describe, as you know. Um, guajillos taste to me uh, like the earth. Like yes. a little bit of sweet earth. Yes. And it adds a lovely layer of flavor to the soup. But if you put hatched chilies in here, I mean, you know, Katie bar the door, that would be delicious. Mm. <laughs> I would use both. I like the idea because Deborah starts by blistering the chilies in a pan mm-hmm. and then reconstituting them. And then they go into the soup to create a level of flavor. If you were to cut roasted Melissa's hatched chilies after the broadcast into strips and float that in the soup then you have a secondary level of texture and flavor as well. Mm, And by the way, this is just one of hundreds of recipes in the Mexican slow cooker. It's the newest cookbook release from Deborah Schneider, and it's all the recipes that you need to use your slow cooker to your benefit to create the delectable Mexican dishes that Deborah is continuing to share, not only in her restaurants, but across the country to share the wealth of the tradition of Mexico, the traditional recipes, but updated too. I loved, as long as we're still in the soup chapter, Deborah, the fresh corn and zucchini soup as well. I thought it was so farmer's market inspired. Oh, it's it's so gorgeous and it's so traditional in Mexico to have soups like this where, um, you know, whoever's making the soup basically just looks in the garden and goes, oh, I have a lot of corn. So, <laughs> and, and everyone has corn right now. This is one of the simplest soups and it's so delicious, but if you're looking at the photograph, the photographer floated that little tiny bit of cream on top that just makes it so extraordinary. But nothing can be simpler than this soup. It's mm. a little bit of, of zucchini or, or the, the calabasa. If you can get the Mexican calabasa, it's even better. Mm. Some gorgeous corn, a little bit of coriander seed and salt and some epizote. Basically, it's five ingredients. Yeah, really simple. And for what you think might need to cook just a short amount of time, you don't get the full flavor out of it. But you say six hours, right? Mm -hmm. Simply in the slow cooker. I love that the slow cooker and your recipes specifically also allow us to utilize everything. Because, you know, I was raised in a waste not want not kitchen. Mm -hmm. That is how Lana still cooks today. But Mom, notice that Deborah uses the corn cobs in the broth mm-hmm. to add that 
incredible depth. Yes, yes, right? as we do. It's a wonderful way to create that extreme corn flavor. Yeah, we never throw away a corn cob, Deborah. No. That's like sacrilege. <laughs> it's corn sacrilege. Yes, it's, it's the most delicious part in a way. I mean, all that flavor, why toss it? Yeah, it's very true. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, will you teach us how to make your one giant tamale? Okay, I know she's there. We didn't lose Deborah. There she is. Deborah? Yes. You'll stay with us to teach us torta de tamal? I'm right here. Okay, we can't wait. This is how you're going to get what you love out of tamales in one big, beautiful, layered deliciousness from your slow cooker. We're going to touch on moles and dulce de leche, too. So don't touch your dial. It's a Mexican fiesta leading up to hatch chili season right here on Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. We'll be right back. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show celebrating food and wine and your passion for cooking. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana back with Deborah Schneider, the executive chef and partner of Soul Cocina in Newport Beach, California and in San Diego. You'll find her and her new book called The Mexican Slow Cooker at Amazon.com where she's teaching us to make the best authentic Mexican dishes over a long period of time. Slow, delicious, flavor enhancing cooking in the slow cooker without much fuss. I mean, this is what's really beautiful about it is it's not as labor intensive. The slow cooker does all the work. And we left off talking about a torta de tamal. I love the idea of tamales in their husks, but that doesn't really lend itself to a slow cooker, Deborah. So you created what is almost like a sandwich. Well, yes, it's one giant tamale, but actually tamales steam beautifully in the slow cooker. Um, you can do up to 24 at a time, small tamales. That's also in the book. So do you just pile them in the slow cooker yeah. pot? You just put them in like you would put regularly. You put a rack in the bottom of your slow cooker. You add a very small amount of water, and they cook, and you don't have to worry about them. I'm one of those people that's always listening for the coin rattling in the bottom of my uh, tamale steamer. Uh-huh. You don't have to do that with the slow cooker. Huh. but. The thing about tamales is they're beautiful, but they're very labor-intensive. Yes. And as you know, you'll make 100, and as they come out of the pot, all the people you didn't see all day are standing there eating them, <laughs> and there's nothing left for you. So I came up with the idea of doing a giant tamal. Now, this is you often see these in the Yucatan where they make them wrapped in banana leaves, and they might be, you know, 18 inches across. They're enormous. But this so shows off the versatility of the slow cooker. You can steam, you can boil, you can bake. Um, you just line it with corn husks or banana leaves or foil, put a little grease in there, and then you take your prepared masa, put a layer of it, you add a filling. So we have so many great fillings in this book, chili verde or maybe a, a beef in a Colorado, a red chili sauce. Mm. Anything that you have, uh, chicken, carnitas, vegetables, mm. put another layer of the masa on top, close it up and steam it for six hours. You just turn it on low and walk away. And when you come back, it's perfect. And you serve it in wedges with a salsa, and it's just its a terrific party dish. See, I think that's just genius. When I look at the picture, there are three squares of this gorgeous torta tamal packed on one on top of the other, just stacked, right? And I think picnic. 
Yes. That is the first thing I think is I cannot wait to share that with friends. Mm-hmm. I look at it and I think I'm going to have the first piece and then I'm going to share it with friends. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think, Deborah. Okay, girls, I might eat old food. I know, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to fight over them. You mentioned carnitas. Yes. And that is truly one of my favorite authentic Mexican dishes, the slow, succulent, delicious pork. And in the slow cooker, three ingredients, and you get the best shred ever. Oh, it's the best. And you can also do a pork pibil, which is the Yucatan style with achiote and garlic and orange and lime juice in it, which is just phenomenally delicious and tender. When you take the lid off the slow cooker, the smell is just amazing. Mm. Um, I was going to recommend to your listeners, if they're looking for a good slow cooker, be sure to choose one that has an automatic warm setting, Mm -hmm. because not everything in here, like I mentioned, has to cook for 10 hours. Some things are four, some things six. If you walk away from your torta de tamal or your pibil, you don't have to worry about it overcooking. Your slow cooker will automatically go on to warm and hold it at just the right serving temperature. It's a great tip. And there's so much incredible technology today when it comes to kitchen appliances. I was just on Home Shopping Network once again um, with Command Performance, and they were showcasing slow cookers there. If you want to look at a bevy of choices and really see what there is available today and what they have to offer, search the Internet and find all the different choices for slow cooker and one that suits your lifestyle and your style of cooking. And like Deborah said, that warm holding Uh, button or you know the automatic warm is definitely a great way to go if you're away for long periods and you want to keep the integrity of the food Mm -hmm. absolutely and keep it at a safe temperature at a safe temperature definitely so i think it's so important for the carnitas to let it cool in the liquid which Ah. keeps the moistness yes Uh, i am going and doing the pig out event today jamie yes we're gonna gonna see you yes and we're doing carnitas with chicharron, and you can do Ooh. both of those things so amazingly in the slow cooker. It's just, it's great. I mean, Tell I us how you do, wait, how do you do the chicharron before we let you go over there to the pig out? <laughs> well, you have to save a lot of pork fat. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then you would put your trimmings from your pork into the pork fat, and you would let them simmer in the pork fat in your slow cooker for about six hours. Wow. And you get chicharron. You get what we call chicharron prensada, which is the scraps of meat that have been cooked in their own fat until they're delicious. This is my Mm. favorite thing on the planet. Uh I'm I'm so hungry for them already. And Um, you've made me so very hungry. I can't even (laughs) tell you. We're going to be first in line. By the way, Deborah Schneider is highlighting the best of her cuisine from Sol Cocina in Newport Beach, California, and another restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's the reigning queen of San Diego chefs, they say, and we agree. And the pig out, by the way, is being brought to you by Bobby Navarro and Amar Santana of Broadway by Amar Santana, uh, both front and back of the house, culinary professionals who are giving back to the food world. You heard last hour from Gabrielle Dion, the mixologist who's leading up the craft cocktail movement for this event. There are still tickets available. It's called The Pig Out. And for those that want to go, you can meet Deborah Schneider and Lana and I will be there along with a group of friends. Uh, The VIP event starts at 12 noon and The Pig Out will last all day. It's at Newport Dunes in Newport Beach and it is Blessings of the Swine. Uh, A (laughs) dozen or so chefs creating the best piggy dishes and then cocktails too and I can't imagine what could be better on a Sunday. And Chef Deb's carnitas. And carnitas Mm. and chicharron. Okay, Deborah, you have the last word, the final bite here. If you would, in 60 seconds, teach us how to make dulce de leche in our slow cooker. 
oh, this is a good story. I've actually blown up a number 10 can of condensed milk. Impressive. Making... <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Very embarrassing. You have to keep it covered with water. To make dulce de leche in your slow cooker, you put the cans in your slow cooker, make sure they're covered with an inch of water, put the lid on, turn it on low, and walk away for 10 hours. And you will come back to absolutely perfect dulce de leche, which I just eat with a spoon anymore. There's, you know, really no point in doing anything else with it. I just open it up and away it goes. Yeah, well, I'm with you, although I do uh, plan to make your flan with caramel, the caramel, the dulce de leche flan. Oh, the flan oh, in here comes out beautifully. I'm can't so wait. glad you mentioned that. Can't it's wait. Delicious. All of these recipes from the Mexican Slow Cooker, the newest cookbook to release, showcasing the versatility of the slow cooker in Mexican cuisine, brought to you by Chef Deborah Schneider. It's S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R. You can go to Amazon.com and order your copy, and you can meet Deb at the pickout today. We'll see you there, and we thank you for sharing your passion. Deborah. it's a really in- impressive and terrific cookbook. Congratulations. Thank you. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Our pleasure as well. Even the pictures on the book cover make me hungry okay there's more fabulous food in your radio stay tuned coming up phil lempert today's show correspondent and supermarket guru teaching you to sharp shop smarter rather shop smarter and easier to make your life just a little bit better that's why we're here chef jamie Gwen, along with lana be right back We're going to make you hungry for more every Sunday morning beginning at 8 a.m. Two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana, along with Phil Lempert. We love when the supermarket guru, you know him from the Today Show and supermarketguru.com, stops by. He is our resident shopping expert, the leading food industry analyst whom we love, the journalist and trend watcher, and he is helping you Shop smarter, eat healthier, and live better. And good morning to you, Phil. Glad to have you back on the radio. Good morning to both of you, and so happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, let's kick off the conversation with some really interesting information you just compiled from a recent visit to the school nutritional annual meeting, right? Absolutely. Uh, Just last week in Denver, about 8,000 school chefs, school dietitians, and directors of school programs convened, and bottom line is with the new regulations that are coming out for school lunch this fall, everybody's really concerned how we're going to be able to pull this off. Now, there's a whole bunch of elements here. First, how do we make our foods healthier and really stick to these regulations, which means 100% whole wheat, um, whole grains, more fruits, more vegetables, do it at about 96 cents per meal. Um, 32 million kids are being fed by that school lunch program at that rate. And also, here's the most challenging, to be able to do it with foods that kids will actually eat. Now, we've seen a lot of cafeterias go into salad bars over the past couple years, but about a third of them reportedly are actually being turned into taco bars because the kids have not been eating those fruits and vegetables that were on the salad bars. So it's really a major concern that we can blend all three of those factors, the new regs from a health standpoint, the price that these schools are given, and also making foods that kids will actually eat. I think that the greatest challenge, too, as you and I have spoken about off the air many times, is that that 96-cent cost ratio has to include fresh ingredients. And there was a wonderful article in... We've seen a lot of 
cafeterias go into salad bars over the past couple of years, but about a third of them reportedly are actually being turned into taco bars because the kids have not been eating those fruits and vegetables that were on the salad bars. So it's really a major concern that we can blend all three of those factors, the new regs from a health standpoint, the price that these schools are given, and also making foods that kids will actually eat. I think that the greatest challenge, too, as you and I have spoken about off the air many times, is that that 96-cent cost ratio has to include fresh ingredients. And there was a wonderful article in one of the recent supermarketguru.com newsletters from your registered dietitian who talked, Phil, about starting kids' cooking classes in the produce aisle. If we expose our children to the fresh fruits and vegetables, it will make them more willing to try out new flavors at the salad bar or to even consider something that might look different to them in the lunch line. Jamie, you're 100% right. And here's the problem. In fact, we did, oh, probably about three months ago, we went to five different cities throughout the country with the School Nutrition Association, and we actually taste-tested different vegetables and fruits with the kids. And the bottom line is that kids really do like fruits and vegetables. They left that iceberg lettuce. They didn't want anything to do with that, but they ate broccoli that really tasted good, good broccoli. They tasted melons, not the cantaloupes and the honeydews that taste like uh, styrofoam, but really flavorful ones. So the key is relatively simple. It's intense flavors and intense colors, and then the kids will eat them. And what's the next step in the school program then? We can acclimate our kids to what really delicious food tastes like, but how do we implement that in the schools? Well, I think that the first step is educating the parents because you have a lot of parents, and the major complaint that I heard from a lot of these folks there in Denver was that a lot of the parents come in and they say, oh, I only want my kids to eat organic, or I only want them to eat local. That's not possible. It really is. There's a couple school districts around the country that can afford to do that, but for the most part, they can't. So it's really educating parents. And what I hear time and time again from these school chefs is they have an open invitation to any parent to come and eat lunch with their kids so that they can see how good the food really is. And there's a lot of innovation going on. You know, my favorite product from the show came from Pepperidge Farm. Uh, You know, those little goldfish that typically they sell in in bars and different snacks or that they serve. Basically, they now have Pepperidge Farm goldfish bread, which is the size of, of, you know, a a piece of sandwich bread. Slice of bread. Um, It's uh, 100% whole wheat, no high fructose corn syrup, and it's in the shape of a goldfish. And they've been testing it. It is brilliant. It is tasty. I tasted it. This is the kind of thinking that we need. When will that be in the markets, Phil? Well, it's not going to be in the consumer world. It's just going to be for school food service. I asked them, and I said, you know, why don't you package like six of these in a a bag the same way they put pita? And they said, no, this is just for schools at this point. Um, And frankly, I think the reason is that they're having a hard time keeping up with production Mm -hmm. because it's been so successful. I think that's really genius. If we use the tools that we have, the goldfish and the Cheerios and the snack flavors that we grew up with as we elevate into these school lunch programs for even the older kids, if you can create a flavor profile that these kids can 
actually relate to, I think that you have a far greater success rate. And I was actually looking forward to a goldfish bread sandwich, Phil. Exactly. I don't see that happening. I I had one there, and it was great. (laughs) That's Um, true. I didn't have anything on it. I just ate it by itself. Um, Brilliant. But you're right. If If we are pushing too hard... Uh, to change behaviors, it's not going to be successful. We know that. But if we can go with certain icons, as you mentioned, Cheerios um, and the goldfish and those kinds of products that people grew up with and evolve them yes. into the next meal occasion. So mm-hmm. a kid is, you know, raised on Cheerios, and then when they're starting to eat sandwiches, why not have a Cheerio sandwich, you know, which is 100% <laughs> oats and, and so on. Um, we've got a much better chance of success. We love your new product finds. You heard it here first, by the way. And if you've just woken up and tuned in, you're late. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Supermarket guru Phil Lempert, industry analyst, today's show contributor, supermarketguru.com. Speaking of the adults, I love the idea of going to school with your child and sitting down and having lunch and acclimating to that new school program. And it really is about the empowerment of the moms and dads out there to acclimate their children to better eating. There was another piece in your uh, newsletter that I read recently that Lana and I have been dishing about, which is the study conducted by the University of Texas and Texas Women's University all about pistachios. It's a nut that doesn't get a lot of attention unless you're in Italy because Sicilian pistachios are the best, Phil, but they may reduce the risk of certain cancers, right? Absolutely. And I've got to tell you something that I have long been a pistachio aficionado. I love pistachios. Yeah, you and Lana. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those foods that is so much fun uh, to eat, and a lot of people don't like them, which I just don't understand. Shame on them. Uh, But new research is coming out constantly, whether it's about almonds, pistachios, any of these nuts that really talk about the, the enormous health benefits. And I think what's happened is we've gotten away from the way our, we've gotten away from eating the way our forefathers ate, which were nuts and grains and seeds, and we got into highly processed foods. And the time is really coming where we've got to head back. I, I agree that we definitely have to head back. And it's really interesting to me that it's such a minimal amount, the consumption that is, of these whole grains, healthy nuts, the quinoa, the farro, the really protein-enriched grains as well that you have to eat to better your body. It's two ounces of pistachios per day. And your study says that after one month, the pistachio eaters had significantly higher levels in their blood to beat or fight cancer. I think that's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, we we think... Obviously, the produce industry has gone on this nine-a-day program, uh, nine servings a day, which for many people is overwhelming. Keep in mind that we only consume about 3.2 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. But when you look at the size of the serving, it's tiny. It really is. And if you look at pistachios, just taking a handful of pistachios every day is going to help everything. And this is one of those nuts 
that is so rich in vitamin E, yes. those fat-soluble vitamins, that it's just going to help our bodies. We're going to be able to digest those nutrients properly. We're going to look better because it's vitamin E. We're going to fight that whole anti-aging process as well as warding off cancers. So what could be bad? Yeah, bring it on. We're going to take a quick break, grab a handful of pistachios, and when we come back, more smart grocery shopping tips from supermarket guru Phil Lempert, you, me, Chef Jamie, and Lana, right after this. Don't go away. Food is life. Create and savor yours. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. This is where informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation happens. Phil Lempert, supermarket guru, today's show contributor, and the food industry analyst who shares money-saving tips and food allergy info and gives you all the resources that you need to help get the most from every shopping trip can be found at supermarketguru.com. Don't miss his food news today. One of the best video features that Lana and I believe is out there. Phil, uh, coupons, a growing and truly amazing technique to save money at the cash register. I read a figure that you posted that in 2011, last year, couponers saved $4.6 billion with a B? Yep, absolutely. And keep in mind that the redemption of coupons is still under 4%. So there's a lot more money out there that we're not getting uh, because, frankly, a lot of people still have this stigma about using coupons. Get over it. You know, use coupons. Use uh, frequent shopper cards as prices are going up. And, and, in fact, if you take a look at what's going on with the corn crop in the country, which is now down below 40% from good to excellent, we're going to see prices on everything from poultry to beef increase dramatically. So stock up, use coupons, and let's up that percentage of coupons that we use from under 4% to 10%. I think it's incredible to consider how much is not used as far as the coupons that are not handed in and the money that could be saved that goes to waste. And by the way, even if you're a gourmet shopper like at Bristol Farms, a coupon doesn't mean just having to cut it out of the newspaper. It means, as you mentioned, Phil, in the piece that I read, reading the market's circular. Because even Bristol Farms has extraordinary specials. You just have to know what to look for. If there's 40% off tri-tip, Now's the time to make Guinness marinated tri-tip sandwiches. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, and again, you know, I'm a huge fan of Bristol Farms. What I love about their specials is it's great tasting food. Yes. I, I, I hesitate to use the word gourmet, but it's above average. We're not talking about saving money on, you know, a five-pound bag of flour or something like that. They really do a great job in exciting our palate and exciting our shopping list. And that's why, you know, looking at a Bristol Farm circular in the newspaper is so different than looking at some of the other conventional supermarkets. You look page by page and you go, wow, I want that, I want that, versus looking at the other ones where you say, do I really need another, you know, five frozen dinners for a dollar? I think that that's very true. You you need to look and really peruse the information that's out there. One of, uh, form of which is through social media. You talk a lot about how you can actually track the stores that you love and their deals through their social media outlets. 
Absolutely. If you take a look at what's going on in Twitter and Facebook with just about every major supermarket, they have specials. They're, they're doing social media only events. Um, you've got to get on your favorite supermarket. Hopefully it's Bristol Farms, but whoever that supermarket is, you know, find their Facebook page, log on to their Twitter page, get these updates because there, if you use coupons, both internet coupons and newspaper circulars, and you're on their social media feeds, I guarantee, you know, you're going to save about 50%. And also what it's going to force you to do is try different recipes to try different foods. So you're not just bored with eating the same old stuff. And it's great savings that really is going to waste unless you utilize it to its ultimate potential. Um, Before we let you go, talk to us about food colors. A lot of conversation in the news about our concern for artificial flavors, colors, all natural products, a lot more label information than ever before, Phil. Yeah, you know, keep in mind that food colors um, were put in our food supply years ago. I'm talking about 100 years ago. And the reason was to make food look more appetizing so that when we looked at the food, we would get hungrier and so on. Well, a lot has changed since that point, and there's been a lot of food colors that have been taken out of the system uh, because they were harmful. But frankly, you know, if you look back a couple months ago, Starbucks came under severe criticism, and it was about switching from artificial colors to natural colors. So where did they get the natural color from for their strawberry color? Well, it came from beetles, came from insects. And then all of a sudden you had everybody up in arms about that. Well, the reality is where we're going to get our natural colors from are animals or plants or insects. And if, in fact, we want that, and frankly, I do want more natural colors than artificial colors, we've got to be more intelligent. We've got to not panic when we hear that it's from a beetle. They're not crushing up beetles and putting it in in their coffee drinks. You know, that's absurd. But we can't have it all. And if we want natural colors, we've got to understand that that's going to come from natural environs. Right. And you talk about reading labels being your best bet for avoiding unwanted colors or flavors in your food to look for products that say all natural or if the added color is derived from fruits and vegetables and to look for less processed product, which we're all looking to add to our diet. Those things that are cleaner and healthier for our bodies. Absolutely. And, and also, let's remember Um, reading the ingredients, reading the nutritional facts on a package is going to tell us everything that we need. We don't have to go further. We don't have to go for those, you know, fancy claims on the front of the package. In fact, my rule of thumb is when there's a claim on the front, that's the signal to turn it around to the back and see what's going on. Great tips always from Phil Lempert, Supermarket Guru. Go to supermarketguru.com, sign up for the daily updates, watch food news today. You will shop smarter, eat healthier, and live better. Phil, it's always a pleasure, and we thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you both. Thank you. I always love when Phil Lempert joins us. I learn so much. And we hope that you'll continue to join us every Sunday where you'll hear from culinary experts and visionaries and you'll get tips and tricks and techniques to make your life better, more delicious, to shop smarter and easier. That's really our goal. We're always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And you can always email us your cooking questions live at chefjamie.com. Thank you, Paula, for always listening and contributing 
targeting. Paula sent a question with regard to the vanilla conversation, Lana, that we had last hour. Mm -hmm. And it's a very good one. With regard to vanilla paste, she wants to know, do you use the same measurement in recipes as liquid vanilla? And Paula, the rule of thumb traditionally is that the vanilla paste is packed with an intense amount of flavor and it's considered a concentrate. So you would use half the vanilla paste that you would traditional vanilla extract but and there's a big but here (laughs) lana and i are vanilla fans so i think both you and i mom always use the same quantity of vanilla paste Mm -hmm. that we would vanilla extract if not more bring it on Mm -hmm. we love to see all those little speckles of vanilla so try equal quantities paula and let us know how your next scrumptious dessert turns out please use that same email address live at chefjamie.com to submit your best blue ribbon worthy chili recipe we want you to be our chili champion and it can be ground beef or chicken pork vegetarian or even a white chili you could win a hundred dollars to shop at bristol farms email us if you are our next chili champion with your best recipe to live at chefjamie.com and join us on august 19th when hatch chili season begins we're broadcasting live from bristol farms in manhattan beach And be sure to join us next Sunday as well when the delicious conversation continues. We're going to be talking about the beauty of honey. Pastry chef Abby Dodge is sharing back-to-school sweets. And we're going to talk about some of the new classic drinks with Jeff Hall of Chapter One, The Modern Local. You'll find us at chefjamie.com. And we thank you for sharing your passion for food. Until next Sunday, thank you, Lana. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. We hope you continue to eat well.